If you're new to this house, my name's Corey. I'm, uh, I said it in the first service, I'm like the uh, crazy uncle that gets to fly in and teach every now and then. I've gotten to preach here a couple times. Uh, turn to the person next to you and tell them you look phenomenal today. Give them some hope. Just let them know. Yeah, we had to stir it up a little bit. Yeah, but it's, it is so good to be here continuing this series, Encounters with Jesus. Uh, I got to tune in and catch Pastor Nate's teaching a couple weeks ago. Pastor Craig dropped a theological bombshell last week. If you missed it, you missed out, go online, go to central.com or central's website and check that out. Um, it was a phenomenal message. And today we're going to continue this series, Encounters with Jesus, and we're going to be in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter what? Good job, guys. If you remember from last time when I'm here, I believe preaching is best when it's not just a monologue, but a dialogue, when we interact and engage with the Word of God. So I may call in response with you a little bit, and I would encourage you to do so. At the minimum, it'll wake the person next to you up. Um, but if you are here and you have no idea who I am, um, I am a part of our Water's Edge family. Central is one church in many locations. God is doing amazing things in and through this church right here in Holland in West Michigan, and it's been my privilege. My wife and I actually got to be here a little bit this week. I got to preach on Thursday night. My wife was the, the Puerto Rican right here singing. Um, she, yeah, she's great. Every time I show up anywhere, they're like, oh, you're now Stephanie's husband. That's what I get known as. So, hey, I'm Stephanie's husband. Um, but we get to lead one of our Water's Edge churches, one of our Water's Edge campus, campuses down in Kingston, Jamaica called Zeal. Everybody say Zeal. Zeal. Right? You can't say Zeal like this. Zeal, right? Because zeal literally means a passionate enthusiasm for a cause, right? And the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that as Christ followers, we are never to be lacking in zeal. That means even on your worst day, you can wake up and go, whoa, I'm alive and Jesus has me alive. Y'all are like, ooh, this guy had too much coffee, right? Now, I just love, this is like my, one of my first times getting to regather with people, you know? So I'm a little excited. I may be running all over, right? But, I, but it's true. No matter what's going on in your life, we have a reason for passion. We have a reason for enthusiasm. We have a reason for zeal because we serve an eternal king that's still sitting on his throne and we win in the end. So no matter what's going on or what we're facing or what worldwide problems are happening or what's going on in the economy, we can wake up and be like, it's going to be amazing, even when it's not because we serve a good king. Amen? Amen. And so... I do want to stop. Bree, Bree hit the nail on the head earlier, and that was a phenomenal, anointed time of worship. Y'all, we are just blessed here at Central with a phenomenal worship team, with a phenomenal team. Can we just give a hand for our team, like our tech team, our production team, our worship team, our guest services team? I mean, woo! Just allowing us to not just gather in excellence online, but regather in person. This is amazing. And I just want to bring you guys an update because not only do I get to lead our campus called Zeal down in Kingston, Jamaica, and we are doing great. We're executing weekly online services, and it's looking like we're going to start to regather in person late August or September. So please keep us in your prayers down there. But uh, I wanted to give you an update because uh, another role I have outside of just teaching and preaching at our campuses is I get to kind of serve and lead our international campuses. And if you didn't know, we have an international church supported by the Water's Edge family, supported by Central, um, over in Ukraine in Kiev called Transformation Church with Pastor Peter. And they are amazing. They've already started regathering about a month ago. They are running like 400 people on a weekend, coming and gathering in safe ways. They have some 
summer camps lined up. So God is moving in through there, and they actually have some baptisms lined up this month. How cool is it that in a season of pandemic, people are raising their hand to follow Jesus and taking the step of baptism? That's just awesome. Yes, thank you. You seven people excited about that. That's, we actually, we have a baptism coming up here at Central in the next few weeks. I'm stoked about that. I heard about it coming up in August. If you want to take that step of baptism, be on the lookout for signups. Um, I heard it's just going to be a tub of hand sanitizer. It's going to be the cleanest baptism you've ever had. No, it's going to be great. It's going to be safe. It's going to be good. But they, they have that going on in Kiev. Let's see. Oh, we have Pastor Pana in Cambodia. We support a, an amazing church in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. They have not started regathering yet because of the density of that population there in Phnom Penh. But I wanted to extend a thank you on behalf of Pana. He told me to tell you guys thank you because many of their congregants work in the garment factories there. And they've been out of work for months. But because of your generosity and giving here, we've been able to send them support funds to help feed those families that are without a job. So thank you. Thank you. And then we got Pastor Sandy over just outside of Jakarta, Indonesia in Bogor. And God is up to some big things there. They're looking at trying to get some new property, trying to expand because the church is growing. And they've started regathering, splitting their single service into two. They got a couple hundred people making their way back. And it is awesome to see what God, and they also have some baptisms lined up this month. And so I don't know if you, you knew this this morning when you woke up, but like you're a part of people all over the world hearing the message of Jesus today. And I, and I said it in the first service, and I mean it, yeah. You guys are going to have, like, some crazy, like, dreaded-out Jamaicans in heaven run up to you and be like, why, why, me, brethren? And they're going to give you a big hug, and you're going to be like, I don't know you. And they're going to be like, no, no, no. But you gave at Central, and they created a Water's Edge family, and they planted a church in Kingston, Jamaica, and my mother got saved at that church and raised me in a godly home. And I know Jesus, and I am in heaven for eternity because of people like you. So thank you, Central. Look at the person next to you and say, you're pretty awesome. Tell them. Tell them you're pretty, because you guys are. And if I haven't said it enough, I'll keep saying it. Thank you. Gracias. Just thank y'all so much. And we're going to jump right into John 8 and look at another encounter with Jesus. And as we do that, and as I've listened to this series, I'm reminded that every encounter with Jesus goes right at the heart. We've been talking about the heart of Central, giving generous a heart of hope. I love that. Reflects Jesus' heart. But every time Jesus had an encounter in scripture. You can read it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He would always kind of just like wade past and push away the, the peripheral stuff, and he would get right at the heart. It reminds me, um, not too long ago, maybe like seven, eight years ago, maybe a little longer than that, um, I came down with like a really bad case of pneumonia. I ended up having to have two lung surgeries, turned into a pulmonary effusion. Wasn't fun. But I'll never forget, like after I got the initial diagnosis, I went home with some medicine, came back for them to check, and the doctor had his stethoscope and I thought he was going to check my lungs. Like he, he got the stethoscope and he put it on my heart. And, you know, I was young and dumb. I tried to correct the doctor. Don't do that. And I, he went to school. I didn't for that. And, uh, and I said, oh, sir, no, I have a lung issue. I don't have a heart problem. And he said, he kind of laughed and he goes, no, we always check your heart. Because if you have a heart problem, you have a much bigger issue. And that's what this passage in John chapter 8 and every encounter with Jesus reminds me of. He gets right at the heart. Because if we have a heart issue we have a much bigger problem. Because the Bible says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, our actions are dictated. It all comes from the heart. And Jesus would have like encounter after encounter with the religious people in his day. They, they were called the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, not all scribes and Pharisees were bad, but the ones that were coming at Jesus were because they were coming with ulterior motives. And they were always coming trying to trap him or trying to catch him because they didn't like that he was taking away their popularity and power. 
And so they would come to him over and over again, and he would just expose their heart, like in Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew chapter 15, the disciples started eating. And in Jewish custom, you were supposed to wash your hands, ceremonially wash your hands before you start eating, and they didn't do it. In today's day and time, we're like, please wash your hands, right? But, like, but back then, it was ceremonial, and they didn't do it, and they started eating, and the Pharisees and scribes were like, sinners! Like, they were just like, they, you can't do that. You have to wash your hands. And Jesus was like, you're missing the point. The whole point was to them, for them to get nourishment. The point was about their hearts being clean before God, not their hands. You're missing the point. Or later I wrote it down in like Matthew chapter 12 or Mark 2. There was this whole idea of the Sabbath, you know, and like the Sabbath was where men weren't supposed, men and women weren't supposed to work. And the Jewish like religious culture took it way too far. Like even today you can go to Israel and there are elevators on the Sabbath that go from like regular elevators to automatic. They stop on every floor so that way the Jews don't have to press a button because to press a button would be working on the Sabbath. That's true. That's still to this day. And Jesus came right against that. What, what happened? Some of the disciples were walking through a field on the Sabbath and they grabbed some grain and started eating it. And the scribes and Pharisees were like, no, you can't harvest on the Sabbath. That is sin. Jesus, why do you let? And he was like, you're missing the point. Or there was another time they came to the temple and they tried to set him up. And there was a man with a withered hand and they kind of pushed him in front of Jesus. They were like, what is he going to do? Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? Because you can't work on the Sabbath. And Jesus healed the man. And he was like, you're missing the point. The point of the Sabbath was God's way of blessing man. And now you've made it not a blessing to man. And we hear these things and we're like, oh man, they were so dumb back then. Right. But don't we do this today? Right. Like in our little ways, we hold on to things that are good things. It's not bad to have a preference, but we hold on to our preferences and we forget about people and God's praise and getting his glory and reaching out into our community. Like I, I know this would never happen here, but I, I'm helping a church right now in Atlanta, Georgia. And during this time, they're taking advantage to do a remodel. This church is like 150 years old and they have pews from like the 1940s that are like falling apart. And so during this time, they're like, oh, okay, we can take this season and upgrade and get rid of these old pews and put in some chairs so we can be safer and socially distanced and they're cushier. And you would never believe this. Some of the people got mad that they took out the pews. Like people, I even heard this statement, it's not church without pews. And I was like, have you read Acts chapter two? The church was born without seats, right? Like it's like when people used to get mad when we added drums and they were like, you can't have drums in church. And I was like, you know, drums actually were in the church before an organ ever was. Like what happens? We get caught up in our preferences and we forget it's about his praise and his people. That was a good amen from over here, over here. Yeah. No. But there we go. Hey, yeah, I like it. But y'all hear me? And so just first metric as we dig into this encounter and dig into scripture is always remember that Jesus is just trying to peel back another layer of the onion that is our heart. So that way we may truly reflect and look like him and have his heart for people, for people. And I just want to say thank you one more time, Central, that y'all have a heart for people that you're not just about your building, that you're not just about your location, that you are doing something around the world. And I, I mean, I'll get emotional if I keep talking about it because it just, it, it's sad how rare it is. So thank you for being that kind of people. But we're gonna jump in. John chapter eight, verse two. If you're ready, say yeah. yeah. Nice, much better this side, this side. I don't know what's going on. Um, all right, I'll stop coaching. Here we go. It reads, verse two, early in the morning, he, Jesus, came to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. I'm just gonna pause on that. How awesome would that be? Could you imagine? There's a great worship song from this church called Elevation, and the title of the song is, What Would You Do If You Walked Into the Room? 
Could you imagine if today Jesus walked in, sat on this stage, or like back then he walked into the temple, into the church. There weren't chairs, like we said, they had to all sit crisscross applesauce and like, listen, but like if Jesus preached, I can't imagine. Like just to hear him from the source, right? Like what, what would you do if you found out Jesus was preaching at Central today? Like I couldn't sleep. I would be like, Right, like it's happened. I would be here an hour early. Like I would save like a whole row. I would have done posted on all my social media. Like I would let him preach as long as he wants to preach because it's Jesus, right? It's the spoken word of God. And as I thought about that verse and I got excited about that concept, I got convicted because I realized every time we gather together, And a preacher or pastor stands up or someone, a brother or sister stands up after spending time in God's word and in his presence. And they do their best as fallen men and women to to proclaim the spoken word of God. The Bible says that men and women are saved by the foolishness of preaching. It is utter foolishness that jacked up men and women like Craig and myself and Travis and Mike and all of us and any of us get to speak the word of God. But when we do, and I often pray this, God, that you would shut Corey up in Jesus, you would speak. When we speak, it is actually God speaking through man. It literally, there is that amount of power and reverence that we should almost go, Jesus. Not that I am Jesus, not that, but, but this is the word of God and the word of God creates universes and the word of God can change the trajectory of your soul. So I got kind of convicted because I realized it's not the question, what would you do if you walked in the room? It's how should I act? Because he is in the room. He's always in the room. From womb to tomb, he's always been in the room. It's funny, I I said this on Thursday night, I didn't say it in the first service, but there's something anointed about the asphalt at Central or at a church, right? Because you can be in the worst argument with your spouse or kids on the way to church. Like you can be just giving it to them, cussing each other out and everything. And then you drive on that church parking lot, what happens? You open the door and you step out and you're like, great to see you, brother, blessed day, glory to God. Right? We do, it's just, you know why we act like that? Because people hear, can hear us. All of a sudden there's accountability in the way we're talking because people can hear us. I'm just gonna break it to you. Jesus was in the car. Jesus was in the living room. He listens, he, he hears the way you're speaking to your spouse. And this is what the word of God says. The way you speak to your spouse is the way you speak to God. The way you treat your sibling, the way you treat your coworker, he says the way you treat each other is the way you treat him. He's always in the room. And that's not like a scary thing. It's like a, oh, praise God. He's always here. His help is always near. His presence is here. Praise be to God. And I'm just grateful that it's not just the fact that he walked in and taught 2,000 years ago. He is right here today. Isn't that some good news, Central? Woo! Some of you, that's the whole sermon you needed to hear. You're going to get in the car and just, I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry. She's like, oh, when you found out Jesus was listening, you're, no, I'm just kidding. Um. So he was in the room, verse three, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They set the trap. It was almost like that bear trap, like they opened it up right before Jesus and he had to make a move. Because you see, the scribes and the Pharisees were actually correct. 
They brought this woman in. They drug her in. in the act, they caught her in the act of adultery. And they were quoting. I wrote it down in my notes. Deuteronomy 2.22 and Leviticus 20.10. It said in the book of the law, if you commit the sin of adultery and are caught in it, you must be stoned to death. There was a death sentence. And so here they pinned Jesus. He had two options. Are you going to agree with Moses and kill this woman where she stands? Or are you going to disagree with Moses and we will kill you where you stand? Because that's heresy. You can't do that. He was pinned. And, and I think about this narrative. It said they caught a woman in adultery and drug her into the church. So many things go through my mind there. First question, where the man at? It takes two to commit that sin. Where's the man? I almost called the message, where are all the men? Right? Like Christianity has this stigma around the world of being a feminine religion. It's probably because we put everybody in purple robes back in the day and stuff. Like men are like, that's not me. But like we, we have this stigma of being like this feminine, like churches are filled with women and men have to be dragged to church. Like down in Jamaica, I, I kind of made this point earlier, like one of the main religions we come up against um, or alongside in some ways is Rastafarianism. Rastafarianism is a belief um, after Haile Selassie, which is ironic. He was an Ethiopian king that actually believed in Jesus, but they kind of worship Selassie. And, it, and it's so interesting because I've witnessed and, and I've tried to invite Rastafaris to, to church, to zeal. And they'll be like, nah, man, no, nah, man, that's for the women. That's for the girls. Church, that's for the girls. Because in Rastafarianism, they're taught as a man, you are a warrior. You are a lion. You are a king. Keep your head up. Don't let your crown slip. And I told him, you know where you got all that? Jesus. Jesus is a warrior king. Jesus is the son, the lion of Judah. Jesus looks at us as men and says, you are an heir to the throne. But what happens in Christianity? We get obsessed with Jesus on the cross. I want to break it to you. Jesus ain't on the cross no more. We don't worship that Jesus. We're grateful for him. We're thankful for him. But that was a momentary Jesus. We think about Jesus in the, in the um, cradle. Like we think about baby Jesus at Christmas. We don't worship baby Jesus. That was a momentary Jesus. We worship Jesus in the book of Revelation that John tells us about. A warrior king riding on a white horse with a flaming sword coming out of his mouth with eyes of fire and his robe dipped in the blood of his enemies and a tattoo on his thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords coming to roll hard against anybody that stands against them. You want to talk about a man? We follow that Jesus. That's the eternal king Jesus. Some of you are like, Jesus has a tattoo? Just read it. It's in Revelation. It does say it's written on his thigh. Trip some of you up there. <laughs> it's funny. I can see people's faces. They're like, yeah, yeah, what? <laughs> but my point is like, where are all the men? And I just want to acknowledge here, thank you, men. Thank you for not being drugged to church but for leading your families to church. Thank you for serving Paul right there. My man on camera two, a man. Like my man on camera three, a man. And ladies, you're amazing. We're grateful for you too. But I'm just grateful that Central is a place where men lead and where men passionately worship Jesus. We love you guys. Thank y'all. Let's give our men a hand. And then as I read this, I think about the woman. She was caught in the act and drug into the church. Let's just be real central. That means she was probably naked, exposed. And the bottom of her shame drug right in the middle of the church. Don't many of us feel like that? Many of us don't come to church or didn't come to church because we felt like we'd be exposed. We feel guilty. 
Everybody knows, everybody knows me. They look at me and they think, oh, he's the one that keeps getting divorced or she's the one that's always in debt or they're the ones that are always, blah, blah, blah. and we think everybody in the church just sees our sin just exposed and ashamed. It reminds me of driving. Some of you are like, segue, huh? Follow me. It reminds me of driving. Like, I grew up here in the States. Obviously, I'm not Jamaican. Um, but I grew up in the States, and I learned how to drive in the U.S. And in the U.S., you guys are familiar. We have stoplights that you stop at. We have stop signs that you stop at. We have lines that you stay in between, right? And what happens when you run the light, run the sign, or get outside the lines? Whoop, whoop, 5 right? Like, you get penalized. You get a ticket, you get a ticket, you get a ticket, you get your license taken away, you can't drive no more. We have a punitive system here. If you get out of line, you get punished if you drive in the U.S. And many of us are grateful for that, right? Keeps us safe. Well, when I went down to Jamaica and started driving in Jamaica, they have stoplights, they have stop signs, and they have lines. More of a suggestion. Anybody ever like ridden or driven in a third world or developing country, right? Like it's just, it's kind of crazy. Like it's more chaotic. Like people kind of do what they want to do. And I'll never forget like one of my first times riding down there with one of our elders, Omar Azan, I asked him, I was like, dude, there must be so many wrecks in Jamaica, right? Like this is like, look at the way people drive. And he actually, he said, well, actually Corey, um, per capita and percentage wise, there are less wrecks in Jamaica than there are in the U.S. I was like, what? And he said, yeah, you know, in the U.S., everybody expects everybody to obey the rules. And so you're not paying attention as much. And so there's actually more wrecks. He said, in Jamaica, we actually expect people to get outside the lines. We actually expect people to kind of do their thing. And so there's more grace when we're driving and we all get where we're going. And it clicked. I was like, oh, that's how the church is supposed to be. The church is not supposed to be like driving in the U.S. The church is supposed to be like driving in Jamaica. But what happens? We mess it up. We come into church and we're like, all right, I've given my life to Jesus. I, I have the car of salvation. I have the key of faith and the gasoline of obedience. Let's go. And what happens? All of a sudden we get out of line a little bit or we mess up. And what does it feel like? It feels like the church goes, sinner. <laughs> you can't know. Now you can't serve in the ministry. Now you can't. And we penalize everyone, right? Like, nope, wrong. And, and even if we don't do it like, like out loud, we do it internally through gossip and stuff like that. And it's a punitive system where when you see Jesus, the way he ministers is a little bit more like driving in Jamaica. People get saved. They get the car of salvation. They get the key of faith and the gasoline of obedience. They get driving. And because they're new to this thing called faith, they know that they're going to mess up a little bit. But he does this thing called grace and mercy. Hey, we're going to get you where we're going. We know you're going to make mistakes along the way, but we're going to get you there because we're all heading toward God and his glory. It's amazing when we kind of lock arms with each other and we go, that's okay, we know you're going to mess up. Let's keep going. Now, if somebody throws their car in reverse and starts wrecking everything, there's a little bit of a difference. But even then, we don't condone sin. We don't condone bad things. But we don't punish people. Why? Well, we'll see right here. Verse 6, they drag this woman in and they say, kill her or not, Jesus. Her or you. Verse 6 this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and with his finger wrote on the ground. That's hilarious. You ever just read the Bible for what it actually says? A crowd of men drag a naked woman into the church and they're like, we want to kill her. What do you say, Jesus? And he goes, <laughs> right? Like that's borderline rude. <laughs> he just ignores them. 
But it says they persisted. And as they continued to ask him, he rose up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Utter genius. He had two options. Agree with Moses and she dies. Let her live and he dies. But he found a wisdom underneath the wisdom. It reminds me of that old story of the, the ancient king. Two people brought a baby and they said, the baby's mine, the baby's mine, the baby's mine, the baby's mine. And what the king say? All right, cut the baby in half. You each take half. And what happened? The real parents said, no, 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 don't do that. I would rather the baby live than not live at all. And the king said, sure, baby. Obviously. The wisdom underneath. The third option. Here Jesus levels the playing field. And I love how he says it. He says, let him, let the one without sin throw the stone. You get what he didn't say? He didn't say, let the one who hasn't committed adultery cast the first stone. He didn't say, let the one who, who doesn't struggle with her sin cast the first stone. And I find that very interesting because isn't that what we sometimes struggle with to do today? Like we all like, you know, if you've been rolling with Jesus for a minute and you speak Christianese, like we, we, we know the lingo, we're like we're all, we're all falling and short of the sin. You know, like we're all, we're all short, we all sin. Like we all say that, right? But then what do we do? But I'm not that bad. You know, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I've lied a few times. I, I may speed every now and then, but I mean, I'm not, I, I, I've never cheated on my husband. Like I'm not, I'm not that bad, right? But then what does Jesus say? Oh, but if you look at a man or woman less, lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. You're just as, just as guilty. He always went right at the heart. We'd be like, man, this is my favorite. Well, I'm not that bad. I never killed nobody. Why is that like the thing? Like, I never killed nobody, right? What does Jesus say? You ever said you hate somebody? You, you ever cuss somebody out? You ever flip somebody off? Jesus, in, in, in the Greek, he would say, or in the Hebrew, he would say, have you ever said raka? Which was like Hebrew for fool. Have you ever been mad at somebody? He would say, you already murdered them in your heart. You deserve the death penalty. You're the same. I mean, he just always goes right at Pastor Craig. It got real quiet. It got real quiet. Some people are still worried. They're like, he's wearing holy jeans. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw this out there, guys. I brought the wrong jeans. I didn't mean to wear my holy jeans today. Um, but Pastor Craig said it was okay. Um, so there we go. Um, actually, he didn't. He was just like, just tell them you didn't mean to. <laughs> um, but, but, but Jesus is always about the heart. Always about the heart. But, but we do that, right? We always think someone's worse than us. Like my favorite today, like I heard somebody say, well, like, I'm not a terrorist. <laughs> I'm like, wow, low bar, right? But, but people would be like, well, I'm not a terrorist. But, but how, did, how did Jesus treat terrorists? Well, he met them on the road to Damascus, saved them, turned them into the greatest evangelist and church planner the world has ever seen, Saul to Paul. Oh, so you're saying Jesus says we should love terrorists. Yeah. Hate the sin, love the sinner. So I just, I, woo, you feel that. Some of you are like, I had a tough time with Republicans and he went to terrorists, you know, like. But the point is, every human is redeemable. 
Every human is loved by God. Sin is sin and the playing field is level. What Jesus said with this sentence is the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all need the same amount of grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness. So he looks at him and he says, let he who is without sin, kill her. Throw the first stone. And at once, verse eight, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, hilarious. <laughs> and side note, we don't know what he wrote. We don't. There's a lot of preachers that'll preach, ah, he did this, he did this. Now there is a good theory that Pastor Craig reminded me of out of the book of Jeremiah. There's a, there's a passage where they would write on the ground their sins in the sand. And there's a, that's actually a good theory that maybe he was writing the sins of the men, starting with the oldest to the youngest to remind them, you're all messed up. That's a good theory. But in all honesty, we have no idea what he wrote. So he bent back down, went down again. Verse nine, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Verse 10, and Jesus stood up. He came back up a second time and said to her, woman, where are they at? <laughs> where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord, no one. Imagine if you're this woman. Caught at one of your lowest points, drug into the church, naked, ashamed, exposed. You're probably shaking and crying because you're about to die. You know the law. And then all of a sudden, Jesus makes this statement and she starts to hear the stones drop one by one. Possibly crying and trembling, she looks up and Jesus says, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, but think, what was Jesus' statement? Let the one without sin cast the first stone. I had this thought last night who was the only one without sin? Jesus. So as she looked up, the thought could have gone through her mind. He can kill me. In a weird way, Jesus, by saying, let he who's without the first sin cast the first stone. It was almost like Jesus saying, this is my kill. This is mine. I'm the only one that gets to kill her. And she looks up and says, no one's left, Lord. And no one condemn you. And Jesus said, then neither do I condemn you. Like I've, I've been forgiven before. You know when you just mess up or you say something out of anger and someone forgives you and you're just like, thank you. But I can't imagine being this woman. Like you, you're supposed to die. And then the one that has the right to kill you looks at you and says, I don't condemn you. But that's not all he said. He said, well, then neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. That's almost a perfect verbal truth of Jesus, like a perfect verbal picture of Jesus. I don't condemn you, grace, but go and sin no more, truth. 
I don't condemn you. I could kill you, but I'm not going to do it because I love you. But here's the deal. I love you too much to leave you that way. Daughter, son, you're better than this. Live a better life. Go and don't do that anymore. Just a beautiful picture of grace and truth. Literally Jesus embodied in a sentence. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. The opposite of condemnation here, you could almost say was compassion. And what I love about this is by not condemning her, he doesn't condone the sin. He doesn't say, I don't condemn you. And YOLO, he doesn't say, I don't condemn you. Go do what you want. He says, I don't condemn you, but stop doing that. It's not good for you. You know that. And I just love the way this passage lands. And as I read it, here's what I'll leave us with, Central. I think anytime you read the Bible, a great study tool is to put yourself in the story. And in this story that actually happened, this wasn't a parable, this really happened. I think we're one of two people in the story. We're not Jesus, <laughs> just to throw it out there. We should act like him. But I think many of us walked in today and we feel like the woman. We feel like the woman. We've messed up. And every time we come into church, we feel guilty. Every time we get around Christians, we feel like we got to hide it or dress a certain way or talk a certain way or act a certain way because we know what we've done. And we feel exposed and ashamed and guilty. And I want to let you know today, if that's you, Jesus is looking right at you. And he's saying, son, daughter, I don't condemn you. Don't condemn you. I love you. I know, I know what you did. It's okay. Go and sin no more. I love you. That's just a freeing statement. But then there's the other group. And many of us here today may be that other group. Those guys that came in to the church with their stones, ready to condemn someone. And how often do we find ourselves with our rocks? The title of my message today, some of you are like, that was all the intro. No, I'm, I'm ending it with this. The title of my message today is simply, drop the rock. Drop the rock of condemnation. Why? Because many of us were like, okay, I love Jesus. I'm following him. And the beautiful thing about following Jesus is what happens. We say yes to faith in Jesus and we come to the cross of Christ. And when we come to the cross, he frees us of all of our sin and all of our baggage of our past. And we're like, whoa, right? But here's the deal. If the enemy can't slow you down with the baggage of your past, he will slow you down with the rocks of your future. He will slow you down by making you a judgmental, hypocritical follower of Jesus. And what happens? We start to follow Jesus and we start to follow and we start walking it out and all of a sudden somebody struggles with that and somebody struggles with that and you start to have a tough time with them and you start to judge them in your heart I can't believe they voted like that I can't believe they dress like that I can't believe they listen to that music I can't believe they make that lifestyle choice and rock after rock after right all of a sudden we can't hug people with compassion because we're too tied up with judgment and condemnation maybe today it's not someone else like maybe it's that co-worker you have a really hard time with maybe it's that person in the church, oh, I can't believe they do this. Maybe it's your spouse. You can't forgive them because they said or did that thing years ago. And every time an argument comes up, you bring up the past, you're still holding on to that rock. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's, maybe it's yourself. 
Maybe some of us are holding those rocks and every time we look in the mirror in the morning, we're reminded of that mistake we made. And we just throw rocks at ourselves. And I wanted to tell you today that Jesus is saying to you and I the same thing he said to them. We have no right to condemn. He's the only one. And if he doesn't, neither should we. So to end our time, Central, my family, I would just invite you to take your hand and extend it out in front of you open. If you're not doing it, that's awkward. I can see you. Just extend your hand out in front of you. And I want you to picture that rock. Picture a rock. And I want you to wrap your hand around it. Just close your fist as tight as you can. Grip that metaphorical rock in your hand. And when you grip that rock, I want you to think about that person you have a really hard time with. I want you to think about that thing in your past you struggle to forgive yourself with. I want you to think about that people group, that, those, that lifestyle choice that those people make, that political party that you just, just whoever you have a hard time with, just think about it and hold on to that rock. And on the count of three, I want you to let it go. I want you to drop the rock of condemnation because if Jesus doesn't condemn them, neither will we. One, two, three. Father, I pray that today we wouldn't just drop the rocks of condemnation. We would leave them and we wouldn't pick them back up. Thank you Jesus, that you didn't condemn her. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't condemn me. Thank you, God, that you don't condemn us. And God, because you don't, we won't. God, I thank you that Central is a family, not of condemnation, but of compassion. Thank you that we don't throw stones here. And God, I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice that came in feeling guilty or judgment or condemnation, that they would walk out feeling free in you to go and sin no more. And Father, for the rest of us, I just pray that you'd help us drop the rock this week. When that argument fires back up in the family, when that thought comes back up, when we see that post and we start to get angry, God, that you would remind us compassion, compassion. We don't condone it. We don't condone sin. We don't condone bad things, but we don't condemn the people. We have compassion, love, mercy, grace. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. Thank you that we're starting to regather. Thank you for all those gathering still with us online. Thank you for how you're moving in and through this church. Thank you for the heart that goes well beyond this building. Thank you for the impact you're having through this family in here and around the world. And I pray we would be a people of compassion, love, grace, and mercy. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. And everybody that agreed loudly said,